0: Grace to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Christ is risen. And as we gather outside this morning, as the graves of our now deceased brothers and sisters in the faith in the, 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 uh, this place called a cemetery... The gravity of this situation, of the resurrection of our Lord in his body, is truly magnificent. God has begun his wonderful work of restoring creation. Here in the place where we bury our dead, we join this morning in the celebration that death has been overcome with life. That's Easter. And it has begun now in Jesus who is risen eternally in his body. This resurrection is the justification of sinners being brought to its ultimate conclusion. Our sins are forgiven. Jesus dies for the sins of the world. The wages of sin have been paid in full. And so now, nothing but life remains. As the scripture says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we come this morning to our cemetery this place which is called the sleeping place, the place of rest, to rejoice and gloat over the destruction of our final enemy. Death has been conquered in the life that Christ has won for you. And even as he burst forth from his tomb, we know that was worked on the cross, has accomplished everything that God intended it for. We're freed from that last enemy because jesus lives and in this we know that our sins are forgiven and death has no hold over us just as jesus left his empty tomb we know that these graves will not remain sealed forever but that we will be called into the resurrection of eternal life our graves are only rentals we can't live in them eternally In fact, we have already been called into the resurrection of our body. We have been invited by our Lord to rejoice with him. And he has already begun to pour the riches out of eternal life upon you. Because the resurrection is not a far off distant reality, but it's something that you live in right now and today. And the Lord describes that reality as a great feast as we live in a recreated and being remade creation we gather before the riches the gifts and the promises of our God that's what we read this morning from the book of Isaiah as God describes the great day of the Lord and the deliverance that he provides for his people he describes the spiritual dwelling place of the Lord with his people where he gives them a feast and celebration of his victory over his people's adversaries sin death and the evil one he says on this mountain the lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine of rich fool full of marrow of aged wine well refined and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples the veil that is spread over all the nations he will swallow up death forever and the lord god will wipe away the tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the lord has spoken this is the celebration that we rejoice in this morning as the sun rises behind me and the darkness is broken Over the face of the earth, so have the power of sin and death been scattered before the resurrection of Jesus. And now, as we dwell as the people of God, we live in the feast of victory that our God has won for us. And that feast is nothing other than the abundance of the gospel. We look at the imagery that Isaiah employs this morning. He he has rich food and well-aged wine. It's a meal that demonstrates the gracious generosity of a God who loves sinners. He does not give us what we deserve from him. He does not give us just our mere provisions that we need to carry on day to day, but he gives us his very best. He gives us that delicacy of heaven, his very own son. And he graciously pours out all that his son provides for us by forgiving our sins every single day. He satisfies us in a way that we cannot imagine by giving us the precious food of eternal life. He gives us the bread of heaven. He gives us forgiveness. That is what the gospel is to be for us. It is to be the greatest and most wonderful pleasure that we have each and every day. The knowledge that our sins are forgiven. The knowledge that Christ has risen from the dead. Our incorporation into the internal, eternal family of God. calling, Being called the children of God. That is the rich food that God feeds us with. He has given us a room in heaven. That hope. That comfort, that promise, that's what feeds us. We live in a world where we are often truly starved of good news like that. As we look at what we experience in life, there's really just darkness and spiritual starvation that we experience maybe on a daily basis, and it can seem very overwhelming. What do you see in this life? What gospels other than the true gospel are set before you? What evils do we have to choke down every day? What suffering? What misery? You see, the devil, he hates this feast of God. He hates the gospel of Jesus Christ, who dies and rises for the forgiveness of our sins and our eternal salvation. And the very thought of the goodness of God being poured out upon mankind is truly the most offensive thing that the devil can think of. And so what does the devil do? He wants to distract us from our heavenly meal, as he makes promises of richer and tastier delicacies, as he sets slop before us, chosen from the nearest swill pail, and dresses it up to be the best thing in the world. And so we look at what the devil offers us in this world, We know that the victory has been won over the powers of sin and death. But the devil would have us reject this victory so that we fall back into our old vanquished foes. And so what does he do? Well, he seeks to tempt us. He makes promises of pleasure in this life that would make us want to think they're greater than the gifts of the next life. And so he would have us fear death, so much that we seek to avoid it in every way possible. He would have us do so through distraction and diversion, seeking pleasure, seeking entertainment, seeking whatever, and he will use fear. He will use pleasure. He will puff up with pride. He will do whatever he can to hijack our identities as the chosen people of God. As the devil will fill our life with crisis after crisis, misery after misery, so that the quick answers that he offers us seem like the perfect solution to every problem. All we have to do is look at maybe the daily news cycles and see how the devil fills our lives with terror and fear after fear, frustration after frustration Failure after failure, false promise after false promise, only to swoop in with all sorts of false gospels to appease us. And what is truly frightening is that very often the world buys into it all. And so, maybe for example, you have a person who's confused, and the devil shows more and more confusion into that person's life so that they're convinced that the only reasonable path forward is to change their biology and so the man he tries to become a woman or the woman tries to become a man and the devil deludes them to thinking that they can do this and when they have mutilated their god-given body enough then they'll be truly content and happy It's slammed in our face every day as we live in this world, as this false gospel prevails in a person's heart so that they medicate themselves and surgically alter themselves to the point where they're no longer recognizable as who God made them to be. And this doesn't usually satisfy them, but in the end it leaves them crushed, confused, and finding no way out. Or you have another example. Maybe you have a woman who's struggling with a mistake or a bad choice that she's made, and she becomes pregnant, she's not married, she doesn't know what to do. And so the devil provides her his quick, easy answer as he leads her to see abortion as maybe the only viable option. She hears the abortion advocate speak about how it's her right to choose. She hears the celebrities talk about how abortion, was it their pathway to success? And she's given another false gospel, a way out of the problem. Yet as she does this, her conscience is scarred and she does the most unnatural thing a mother can do as her child is killed. And that really is the devil's goal. He hates the life that God gives. And he would rather us worship death and call it freedom. This is, the way, this is why he's always stirring up wars or finding new soul-destroying addictions or enticing broken minds to shoot up schools. The devil rejoices in death, and he wants us to throw ourselves into death, to embrace it by making us afraid of it. And so it is with every solution that the devil throws at us. He offers us every answer in the world for sin. And what's so jarring about all the devil's gospels is they usually throw a person deeper into sin, deeper into despair, and deeper into death. As these false gospels usually destroy our bodies, they break our hearts, they corrupt our minds, and eventually they kill us. They destroy marriages, they kill and mutilate children, they curse what is good, they imprison us in confusion and pain. They invoke greater suffering than at the beginning, and it's no wonder that's his goal. The devil hates you with the same hatred that he has for God. And so when he makes his promises, they usually result in the destruction of what God has created. And so as we look at the the worldly comforts that we seek to numb the pain that death and sin bring us, which of them does not bring misery or emptiness or sadness in itself? You think of gluttony or drunkenness, or sexual pleasure, or divorce, or entertainment, or anger, or politics, or whatever else, do these things fill us with good things? Do these things relieve us from our sins? Do they lift up our hearts? Do they bring us closer to God? Or do they drive us deeper and deeper into the grave? Do they free us from sin and death? Or do they free us use them. This is what makes the resurrection of Jesus Christ so magnificent. What does it do to the devil's chief tool? What does it do to the grave? What does it do to the promises of our sins? What does it promise for your body? What does it say of our worldly woes that are brought upon us by sin? It does not say that we can be answered by quick fixes. Rather, it promises the ultimate fix, the ultimate relief. It promises the freedom from the power of sin and death that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring. And rather than fleeing from our sins into deeper sin, the gospel frees us from our sin through the forgiveness that Jesus wins for us. Rather than having us ignore death through godless distraction and live in fear of death, what does the gospel of Jesus Christ do? It conquers death, leaving it powerless. And that's what the empty tomb means. It means our sins are forgiven. That we do not need to fix our sins with more sins so that in the end our bodies are destroyed and our hearts are broken. Rather, we simply need to cast our sins upon jesus knowing that he's overcome them by bearing his cross and in that there is nothing but life we do not need the endless feast of trash that the devil promises us because we already have the endless feast that god pours out on us in christ it is a feast that does not run out it is food that does not destroy and decay it is food that restores the soul and gives eternal life to our bodies. It does not warp our consciences, but it sets them free and settles them with the comfort that only forgiveness of sins can bring. The feast of rich food that the Lord provides His people is offered every time the gospel is preached. And what's so magnificent about all that is that the feast doesn't run out. The spiritual food that God gives is never consumed to the point that there's nothing left. And so we should consider this morning the generosity of our God because he's already given us everything. He gives us Jesus. As St. Paul writes in Romans, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? And that is what he does. We have the problems of sin and death. They affect us, they attack us, they hurt us. But how does God deal with them? Well, he forgives our sin and he abolishes death. In 1 Timothy, we hear God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Our reading this morning from 1 Corinthians teaches Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so as in also in Christ all shall be made alive. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's what we rejoice in this morning. Christ has made your enemies into his footstool. And the food that we feast upon the gifts that Christ pours out on us, the enemies that have been placed under his feet have now been replaced with the gracious gifts of a forgiven Savior. And that means that the distorted and wicked thoughts which drive us to foolishly seek every false comfort or the sinful desires to conquer and ignore the wages of our sin or the the lies of the evil one that drive us into deeper sin and destruction those have been crushed under the feet of our risen Savior. As he steps out of that tube, he crushes the final enemy, which is death. They are all conquered. They are all destroyed. So that we may never be driven into despair. Rather, we all dwell in the inexhaustible grace of a God who forgives sins and brings life to those who are dead. The covering of that cast a pall, or a veil, or a shadow over all people, has been removed. And just as sin has no hold on you, death has no hold on you. St. John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. And when Peter looks into the tomb, he sees the burial cloths of Jesus neatly folded and set aside. Why is that? Well, they're not needed anymore. They're folded and put away because they have no purpose. Death has no grasp on Jesus. Jesus is a terror to death. Jesus is a torment to the devil. He's made every grave into a weak and broken fortress that will eventually crumble under the power of his victory. That's what the prophet Hosea promises as he says, I will ransom them from the power of Sheol, the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Martin Luther, he talks about this. He says that he will soon extinguish death, but he will always swallow it up little by little, just as our old man day by day ought to swallow up death through the Spirit. And so also Christ destroys death as a plague that consumes the body little by little. So Christ is the pestilence of our death and he is the pestilence of our old sinful flesh. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. That is, from all faces, misery, disaster, grief, and tears will free us and console us in our spirit. What does that mean? It means our final enemy has found a new and greater enemy. And just as death seems to chase us and follow us as we live in this world, and just as the devil seems to always afflict us and tempt us and drive us into despair and doubt, Jesus has become their terror. They are undone. Death and the devil have new tormentors, and they have designs to bring us to nothing but sorrow and destruction. But what does our Lord do? Well, he destroys them. He visits the same evil intent that they have upon us, upon them, so that their works and their will are brought to nothing. And then he turns and he comforts us with the forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of everlasting life. That is what the Lord feeds you with this morning. And that does not run out. And so we rejoice in this assurance of the gospel. We live boldly by faith and in true repentance, knowing that our sins are forgiven and that His forgiveness doesn't run out. And as we do so, we have joy, we have peace, we have comfort, we have hope. We are filled with the good things of God as we are fed with forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, we are fed with life because God has swallowed up death forever. Thanks be to God who gives us this victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds and the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.